Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the Cabrigal clan of the Darug Nation, who are the traditional custodians of this land we are meeting on today. We also pay our respects to the elders past, present and future of the Darug Nation. Hey friends, welcome to our podcast, A Seat at Our Table. Candid conversations about our Asian Australian experiences in the creative industry. I'm Tracy. I'm Wendy. We We saved saved you a seat. seat. Come Come join join us. us. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. Hola. (laughs) Hola. (laughs) Um, Today we are going to be talking about the different career pathways for creatives, our career pathways to date, identifying your niche, and then I guess the debate between should you be a specialist or a generalist, and then also pivoting in your career and embracing change. So to kick off, let's reflect on our career pathways to date. Uh, Tracy, do you want to start with, I guess, where you are right now and how you got there? Yeah, so I'm currently a senior account manager at a creative advertising agency. So I've been in the industry, I've lost count, but maybe five years this year, Mm. four and a half years now. And I kind of fell into advertising, I would say. I did a degree in marketing and psychology at Sydney Uni, thinking I would get into more bigger brand marketing in terms of like FMCG, like mm-hmm. the Unilevers and the Nestle's, you know, the kind of the traditional marketing path that you would take where you become a brand manager and whatnot. But then I did a advertising unit in uni in one unit. And then I was like, oh my God, this industry is so cool. Like the creative industry in advertising, it's still part of marketing, but it's like a kind of a more of a niche mm-hmm. um, where you get to work on big, you know, brand advertising campaigns, you get to go on shoots, you get a you know, do really the, the cool stuff I would say of, of marketing. So had I not done that, unit, I probably wouldn't be in this career right now. And then I just fell into it because I found an internship in a marketing agency out of uni, mm-hmm. um, working in the healthcare communications and advertising space. And then I've just, you know, gone through several roles and now I'm here. <laughs> That's kind of cool because I remember you telling me that you wanted to, you know, work for Unilever, Nestle. I actually forgot about that. So you talking about it now, I was like just remembering all the ambitions that you had. Yeah. And I was really similar in the sense that like where I am now, I'm a senior product designer at Future Friendly, which is like a digital creative agency. And when I was in uni, mm. I was like, I'm, I want to do UX. And then my first job was as a consultant at Deloitte Digital. So in big four. And during that time, I was like, I'm never going to go back into UX yeah. <laughs> because I, I hate it. And it was purely based on the fact that I just had like one project that didn't really, I guess, set the right tone for me for yeah. UX. Um, and I was like, oh, if this is what UX is, I don't want to do it. And I think now it's come full circle that I'm back in product design. Yeah. Yeah. But when I was in university, I kind of like, I studied visual communications, which is graphic design essentially. And I just had this idea that like, oh, I want to be an editorial designer because I love like the tangibility of magazines and being able to do like spreads and all that kind of stuff. But then I quickly realized that I don't have the patience for that Mm. because you need to execute it with like so much perfection and you need to be really patient with printing and all that kind of stuff in the whole process. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to go digital and decided I'm going to try and get everything that I have in all my projects towards UX but then first year, all my dreams were crushed. <laughs> um, but I think it, it was just more so like you decide where you want to go next based on the experiences you've had and 
you figure out like what you like, what you don't like, what you're good at, what you're not good at. Yeah. Cause when you study at uni, it's so theoretical and you might think you want to do it, but then as soon as you get experience in it, you're like, Oh wait, this is not what I want to do at yeah. all. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of similar when I did a, my internship at Rekka which is like a big FMCG company. I was just like, Oh, it's kind of fun, but like, I don't know about it yet. Mm. And then as soon as I stepped into an agency world where everyone was dressed in like sneakers and t-shirts and like, you know, Friday night drinks all the time. The offices were always so cool. I was like, oh yeah, this is the space I want yeah. to be in. Yeah. Yeah. Workplace culture is like really important. Hey, I felt like I didn't really fit into Deloitte Digital, even though we were considered like one of the cooler departments. Yeah. I just felt like oh, I don't think I want to work in a company this size because I just feel like the level of impact and level of say that I have doesn't really go anywhere beyond like my team. Mm. And I want to be able to influence like the organization that I work for a lot more than that. Yeah. And I didn't realize this, like this is not something that you think about during university. Yeah, size. Actually, that's a good point about size because when I worked in a bigger, large company when you were just literally like a dot on the entire organizational map is so overwhelming in terms of you just get lost, right? And you can't have much of an impact. Whereas now I I much prefer working in a smaller agency and company Mm. where my voice is heard, like, you can speak to the CEOs, the executive as like a friend, like you don't have to go through layers and layers of approvals or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. When you were in uni, did you think that like once you decided on advertising, like what did you think the pathway was going to be for you? Mm, that's interesting because I think when I, when you're, when you study uni, obviously they only show you the highlights, right? Like the best of the best to make you really excited about the industry. So when you think, I think when people think advertising, they think about like, ad campaigns, TV commercials, big like experiential outdoor activations and things Mm. like that. They always use Nike as an example of really great advertising. Like the ads you see, they move people, make people emotional. You look at Netflix and things like that. So I think my dream out of uni was also always to go work in a big advertising agency to work on really cool brands that I know and consumers know, yeah. but I fell into the health industry, which was completely different, which is more niche. And I guess I would say specialist because it was like an industry I had no experience in. And I was literally, my first client was working for like, they were doing cancer treatment wow, and developing like cutting edge cancer treatment for patients, you know, with stage four cancer or whatever it is. And like, it's a bit different. Like you don't even call it advertising at that sense. It's more like communications and it's communications and advertising towards healthcare professionals, doctors, specialists, rather than like the mass audience. Mm. So you, in my first like few years being in the health industry, I definitely did not do the big brand commercials and like the editorial campaigns you see everywhere. It was like a completely different industry and I just fell into it. Yeah. yeah. So how did you get from like there to where you are now? Yeah. Um, funny story. I, for those who work in advertising, I think you guys would know the name Ogilvy. And that was always like, if you made it into Ogilvy, that was like really, really good in terms of like your career. Right. Mm. And my internship was at Ogilvy Health. So I missed the health part when I applied for this internship because yeah. I was like, oh, Ogilvy Health must be a team within Ogilvy, which now it is. But when I first joined, it was two separate agencies. Right. And then that's why I fell into it because I was like, oh, Ogilvy, this is a really good name, blah, blah, blah. But then it, it was more specializing into the health space. And then I was there for three years, two, no, two years. Then I moved kind of like I got promoted several times. Then I moved into a company called Orchard, which is also more digital advertising 
So different type of work, but still in the health industry. Mm-hmm. But I always knew at the back of my mind that I wanted to get into more mainstream yeah. consumer mass media type um, marketing. So now I'm working at a place called White Grey and one of my biggest clients is Westfield. Yeah. So it was a journey. It was a very big journey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think I, th- I think it's so important to kind of like talk through how you got from like A yeah. to where you are now because I think a lot of people – who start out their career, they just have this idea that they're going to get to like their end destination pretty much immediately. Mm. And I think a lot of people end up being disappointed when they don't get that as like their first role. Yeah, I think so. I think at the back of my mind for the first um, three years of my career, being in healthcare advertising, I knew this wasn't the industry that I would be in forever. Mm. Like I knew I loved advertising. I loved being an agency, but the actual subject matter of working with healthcare clients, like I was, it was really interesting. Like I worked on like massive disease awareness campaigns during COVID times and things like that, which is really, really interesting. And like really important knowledge to have as just like a person living yeah. in Australia, like yeah. how the healthcare system works. But then the creative side of it wasn't as strong. Mm. So I always knew at the back of my mind that I would eventually move out. Yeah. And then this is what I did. Yeah. What about you? Like, did you have that? as well being into yeah. Deloitte Digital yeah I just perceived like getting into Deloitte Digital as like similar to you mm. I was like wow it's a big like a big name it has a huge reputation not just within Australia but globally as well and at that time I was like if I wanted to move overseas this feels like it's a possibility with this company but what I came to realize is that it's just like a foot in the door mm. like that's all you need when you get started and I tell my students that all the time for context, I teach at UCID. I teach a unit at UCID for Viscom. And one of my students asked me the other day, they were like, oh, like, so what's like the career uh, pathway for a product designer? And I was like, there's no like straight answer for yeah. that. Like you, there's no formula, yeah. you know? And then I basically said to her, like, these are the types of roles that you can go into, but how you get started and how you get there is different for everyone. Yes. It, it depends on like what opportunities you open up for yourself and the ones that you apply for. And for me, Deloitte Digital came up as a surprise because it was never on my radar, but it just so happened that the lead tutor was like, Deloitte are looking for designers. So if you want to apply, apply. Honestly, I didn't know what I was applying for. Even though you read the job description, you're just like, oh, it's all just words. Like even I remember when you got into or when you applied to um, Deloitte and you're like, I'm going to be working at Deloitte. That even shocked me. I was like, I didn't imagine that for you. Like I thought like she was going to be a graphic designer in like, like you know, a cool agency. I was like, what? (laughs) No, I'm just a corporate slave. (laughs) But after that, I realized that I'm actually quite interested in service design, right? Mm. So um, a recruiter reached out to me on LinkedIn and was like, um, this is a service service design agency looking for like service designers. Um, are you interested in this customer experience company? And I was like, at the time, I was like, yeah, if I want to become more specialized in my role, then like, sure, this is something that I'm interested in. So why not? Yeah. And I was there for about 11 months, but I think I quickly realized that although I love this part of it, something felt like it was missing. It was a lot of research and not a lot of designing. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to go and just suss like what other companies do within Sydney, like what other agencies are out there. And that's how I found Future Friendly. Mm-hmm. And I looked at Future Friendly and I was like, oh, this is my dream. Yeah. But I don't think they're going to, like, I don't feel like I am good enough to work there. And so I just reached out, put in an expression of interest on their website. They didn't have any open roles. And I was like, they're probably going to get back to me in like six to 12 months. Yeah. 
But then they reached out to me like two weeks later and I was just like shocked because I was like, wow, they actually like read their inbox. Yeah, because you know? <laughs> some people you just never get a response from. Yeah. yeah, and so that led to where I am now and I love what I'm doing and it was definitely a pivot from service design and I didn't have the fundamentals for like UX design because when you study VizCom, it's like quite general. Yeah. Like you just learn all the principles of design and you decide what you want to go into. You could be a brand designer. You could be designing logos. You could go into like strategy work or yeah. you could go into product design. There's just so many different avenues you can go down. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this role, but it feels exciting. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just let my pathway like take me wherever felt right. Yeah. It wasn't a plan that I had, but I kind of really aligned myself to the values of Future Friendly. But how did you decide, like, because it's a UX role, right? Yeah. From going, I don't want to do UX anymore in Deloitte. Like, how did you decide, I want to give UX another shot? I don't, I actually don't know. (laughs) Like, I, I think I decided that that project where I initially discovered what UX was, didn't do it justice Mm. I think at that point I realized that and I was like I really love what this company stands for so maybe let's go there and see Mm. if this is what I want to do and for me at the time what was important was like I want to work for a company I believe in I want to work with people that I can learn from but also teach as well and I wanted to be in a collaborative space but also still working like client-facing services Mm -hmm. so I think that was what drove me to just go into future friendly and give product design a go. It was like the, the culture felt right. The people felt right. And so that's enough for me to yeah. start learning more about UX yeah. and rediscover if like, I like it or not. Yeah. You know? I think the culture and the company is just a big role yeah. in decision-making. Yeah. Before we move to the next topic, I feel like an important thing to talk about is did you get through Deloitte, Deloitte in via grad program? Oh, no, I didn't. Oh, okay. Because I was like, because I didn't either into my industry. But I, you know, when you go into uni and the emphasis is always like, get into a grad program, get into a grad program. I think it really limits the opportunities that you get exposed yeah. to. Um, so I was just interested if like, what was your experience? Like, did you apply to grad programs? Mm. And like, how did you get into Deloitte without a grad yeah. program? Because you always think to get into the big four, you go by a grad program. Yeah. I always had to tell this narrative to people when I started because with big four, like you said, you go through like AC, so assessment centers and that stuff is like, it's so hard to be on your, like perform at your best because it's there's so, so much, so much anxiety around yeah. like being around people where you're like, Oh, they're my competitor. Literally once I did an assessment center and there was people walking around with clipboards like assessing assessing you, you. yeah like that. <laughs> like in like in front of you like yeah. walking around clipboards I'm like oh my god and that's what I mean by like I don't think yeah. you're in the right environment to show your true colors yeah um I did an assessment center for Westpac which is why I know what the process mm-hmm. is like and I tried to get into the Deloitte when I actually failed the psychometric testing or? no no I did the <laughs> yeah. psychometric testing She's psycho. <laughs> I was fine with that but yeah. then I think I failed like the next task after mm. that it was like a video it's so difficult thing. and I think after that I kind of just let go of the idea of trying to join a grad program because I was just like I don't think it's a true reflection of who I am as a designer it's not designed for designers mm. you know it's designed for like people who are in more like analytical yeah. roles I would say and I just felt like I don't feel like this process is fair, but I agree. Yeah. So I just 
kind of thought, oh, you know what? I don't think I'm going to get into a big company. I'll just try and get into an agency. And at the time I was working at Bailey Nelson. So I was like, worst comes to worst. I'll just work full time at Mm -hmm. Bailey Nelson. That's fine. Yeah. You know? And so I think after my tutor was like, oh, Dulet's actually looking for some designers. All I had to do was go for an interview with one of the partners. (laughs) And that was it. Yeah. And I think I got along really well with him and I just showed him my portfolio and that was that. Yeah. And so when I started, I kind of felt like, I cheated a little bit. Like I got in a different through a different pathway and I always told people that I was like, oh, like, you know, I got in by just showing my portfolio and had an interview with my, a partner. I didn't do the assessment center. Because yeah. a lot of people knew each other from the assessment center. Like they met each other on the day and they're like, like oh, who like, are you? <laughs> you? You made it. I guess like you made it through the assessment center. Yeah. And I was kind of just like, yeah, I'm a bit of an outlier here. <laughs> yeah. I think it's yeah. such a myth though. Like I think I- – like you don't have to get into a grad program yes. to have a successful career. Yeah. And I feel like that's the narrative that at least when I went through uni, that was what was told to me. Like you have to get into a grad program. You have to get into a grad program. And it all, for me, when I didn't get a grad, into a grad program, I always felt like I failed. Yeah. I was like, how did like, a, you know, your HD is all throughout uni and then I did not get into a yeah. grad program. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think a lot of people feel that way. And like my advice would be like, Grad programs are definitely the most like stable option because you are very well supported mm. through a grad program. You get a lot of benefits and you get like a lot of like programs to help you succeed and figure out what you want to do. Like I know in like banks, they do like rotations yeah. and stuff, right? But it's not the be or end all. Like you can just find a role and then, like I said, all you need to do yeah. is get your foot in the door. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree with that. And especially for in advertising as well, grad programs aren't that popular compared to mm client-side marketing or like working in a consulting agency or company or not right so they're not there's not a lot and people say in advertising you literally have to get your foot in the door no matter what like just try to get in because it's a very small industry yeah to so to get in like yeah and I like did so many grad program I mean mean, grad assessment centers and interviews and I just like left me like feeling like a bad taste in my mouth I was like I hate this process like it's so like this is not me this is yeah this is is not me you're trying to put me in a box and like I don't like it (laughs) (laughs) yes 100% though because you're doing same tests as everyone else but you could be from so many different types of degrees the skills that you've built up, like technical skills that you've built yes. up in uni, why is it like funneled down to just this one test to determine what you've Yeah, and then looking right? for people who think a specific way as well. Like there's no diversity of thinking, yes. you know, black and white tests like that, yeah. which is why I really liked, you know, in advertising, they always emphasize that we don't care what your background is, what your educational background is, what you've done. There's the spot for you if you can think creatively. Yeah. 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 I think my, um, like with Future Friendly, I know people who have been teachers, become mm-hmm. strategists. Mm-hmm. I know people who were like anthropologists and became a strategist as well. So I think that goes to show like no matter what you study at uni, like that should not be the realms of where you limit yourself. Again, all you need to do is like get your foot in the door, start expressing what you want to try and do. And then like you can even transfer within. Exactly. Yeah. As long as you know yourself that you're like advocating for yourself. Yes. Rather than kind of just going with the flow and just waiting for the best thing to happen because yeah. you're not ever going to get what you want if you exactly sit back and relax yeah i agree like i went into it knowing that this role is not for me but i it's a foot in the door in advertising eventually i'll get to where i want to be which is here yeah 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 for sure um so one of the big questions that i get being a designer or actually one of the big questions that i think to myself all the time is like 
should I be a generalist or should I be a specialist? Like where, where to next, you know? And I think that was a big part of like the internal dialogue I had with myself at Deloitte Digital because I was just doing all types of design. Mm. I got put on a project basically because my title was designer. I was like put on branding projects. I was put on UX projects. I was put on service design projects. I think it was actually a good thing because I could try all different types of design. Yeah. But also I could never like dive deeply into one of them, yeah. you know, and get like the true experience. So is like being a generalist or specialist, like something that the advertising agency or advertising industry thinks about as well? I think it it is, but it's like more um, department specific. Maybe it's like, I think marketing Specific, yes, there are marketing generalists or there are marketing specialists or there are the T-shaped marketers that mm. we we're t- talking to later where you've got a broad range of knowledge across the board, but you kind of have a deeper understanding of one specific area. So in marketing, you, if you're a specialist, you could be a SEO specialist, a market oh, yeah. research specialist, you could social media specialist, digital marketer, like the, the marketing is so broad and there definitely are areas you can specialize in. And either, or you can be a, gen, a generalist, which is more like, brand managers that oversee mm. the whole process. Like, for example, I think advertising, it's been interesting because at the moment I would say throughout my career, I've been in a generous role because I've kind of been in that overseeing stage mm. and we work with brand managers in client-side marketing. So, and then we kind of work with specialists to get the job done. I don't know, if we need PR, we have a PR agency. If we yeah, need true. media, we have a media agency. So I don't, it's a bit like more loosely defined, I would say. Okay. How I, I don't know how, how I would put it is market advertising is already a specialist function. Mm. So the whole agency specializes in creative advertising. Yeah. But within it, you've got different roles. Right. Yeah. So it's not, I think, clean cut, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I actually Googled this because I was like, oh, out of curiosity, like how do people define generalists and specialists across like a lot of different industries? Mm. And there was like this LinkedIn article that I, I think explained it really well. Like a generalist is someone who takes an unstructured exploration approach to learning different skills. And the objective of that is like to find out what you're interested in, which I love because I think you can only understand what you're good at by trying a lot of different Mm -hmm. new things, right? And in terms of like skills day to day, like you're really capable of doing complex tasks, despite like what your specialization or field is, you have like a broad range of understanding of different areas and that helps you make informed decisions. And I like to frame it as like, you're kind of like a jack of all trades because you, you see a lot of different things and you're solving a lot of different problems, but you also rely on like subject matter experts yes. to fill your knowledge gaps, right? But I think for like designers specifically, the challenge that we face is that it's hard for non-creatives to understand what like a generalist designer does. Yeah. So could you give an example? Oh, I guess your role in Deloitte, that was a a generalist role yeah like I was like an experienced designer right that was my title yeah but because they were like kind of short on designers I just I just got put on any type of project that required a designer and sometimes it would just be output driven like I would just be making like a poster Mm. or something but other times I'd be doing like concepts designing up concepts so that would be like the UX type of work but I think in design it's very similar to advertising in the sense that you can be a designer and you have a lot of different skills. So as a designer myself, I've got skills in product design, I'm yeah. a visual communicator, 
I can do like design research. I can be like a brand strategist. But then I would say similar to what you said before about T-shaped designers, like my skill that I've deep dived into is product design. Mm. And then do you feel like you have to specialize as a designer? No, you don't have to. I think people who are design generalists tend to go into leaderships more, a leadership mm. roles more. So they tend to be more uh, like product leads, for yeah. example, or they are design leads yeah. because they just have the skill set to be able to be across so many different types of problems. And they then depend on the people within their team to be subject matter experts. Right. Yeah. So did you feel the pressure of like deciding if you wanted to be a generalist or a specialist? Yeah, because actually at Deloitte, that was um, the pathway that they had built out to become a specialist yeah so like the career trajectory that you had is you start as a grad yeah then you go as a consultant senior con manager senior manager and then after senior manager you can just you can become like a principal of design well (laughs) sounds like a textbook yeah like it's about design you can become a principal of design or you become like a specialist in something so you can become like a specialist lead in UX. Oh, cool. So that's kind of what geared my thinking towards like, oh, that's where I'm going. So right. I should decide now what I want to do. Yeah. And I always had this internal battle, like, should I be a generalist or should I be a specialist? But I'm the kind of person that also wants to have like my finger in every pie. Yeah. And I yeah. like get bored easily. So even though I've become a specialist in product design, kind of by accident, mm-hmm. I still think that I've got the mindset of a generalist. but my technical skills and product design right yeah Yeah. but I think as a specialist like basically you just have a really deep understanding of a specific function or subject area and people like go to you for that yeah um and I guess like for people outside of you it's easier for them to understand what you do and who you are Mm mm-hmm Whereas if you're just a generalist designer, you're like, oh, yeah, just come to me for anything, you know. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. not like come to me if you want to understand how SEO works. Yes. You know. Yeah. So I think sometimes generalist designers are a bit misunderstood. Yeah. I think in advertising, at least for me, I always really struggled in terms of being too niched into a subject matter because I started out in healthcare advertising and that freaked me out. Yeah. Because I was like this is so niche. Like this is a very specialist subject matter thinking. Like my skills are more, I would say generalist because I can apply the brand marketing skills and project management and things like that to any company. Mm. But I was really scared that going into health first would have locked me in into only being able to work in healthcare advertising. Yeah. But I knew I didn't want to spend my time there. So the more years I spent in healthcare management, like marketing, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be niched into healthcare marketing. Like I want to work elsewhere, but can I even like, do I even understand, you know, (laughs) because like my world was like healthcare professionals, drugs, like Mm. diseases, like medical terms, so scientific that I was scared that I wouldn't be able to go into a broader marketing field, like working with more mass, mass consumers on. Yeah. So how did you get out of that then? Um, how did I get out of it? That's a really good question because every year I was in healthcare advertising, I was like, I'm going to look for another job. I'm going to look for another job. Like, you know, I don't want to be here forever. And yeah. I would talk to people. I, I spoke to cr- recruiters in the industry. I was like, am I niching myself by being in healthcare advertising? Mm. Like, can I still jump into consumer advertising? And they were like, yes, it's like maybe a little bit more difficult because healthcare is a very specialist knowledge. 
but then um, the skills can still transfer. And then I think for me, it was doing training outside of work that mm. really, really helped me to build up those skills because I did award school, as I think we've mentioned a few times, and that is like more focused on consumer advertising. Yeah. So doing that, I did a digital marketing course, which helped me broaden it out as well. It was, I think it was a myth, a complete myth that I was being niched in. Like now that I'm working in retail marketing, the skills I use in all my previous jobs is the same. Yeah, it translates. Right? It just translates, yeah. completely translate. Like mm. I, I don't know why I was so worried. It was just the subject matter. Like you can always learn subject matter. Yeah. Like I've learned the healthcare industry, but I can always learn the retail industry. Yeah. Like the skills, the soft skills are more important. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the lesson that I learned as well. Yeah. Like I was in a pretty unique position that I could try so yeah. many different things. But what frustrated me was like, I'm, I didn't have any mentors or I didn't have any direction as to what I could like drill down mm-hmm. into because I was always like kind of just learning things about 30%. Yeah. And I was just missing like the other 70%. But again, I felt like that was a myth that I told myself yeah. because I just feel like I could try all these different things. And then I all like my next step really was to just pick yeah. one part and then just discover what that was. Yes. And I eventually realized that that was what I needed to do. It wasn't like, oh, the decisions that I make now and today are like the be all, yeah. end all. And I think when I was in uni and all these like cool design agencies came in, like Landor, For the People, all that kind of stuff, I was like, oh, if I go into there, then I feel like I'm pigeon- pigeonholing myself into that because mm-hmm. all they do is like branding or like more, I wouldn't say superficial, but like the execution of things is more based on like what things look like. Yes. So campaigns and whatnot. Yeah. But what I wanted to do was like research. I want to be like problem solving. Mm-hmm. I want to be concepting. I don't really care about the execution. Yeah. And so I think going into Deloitte Digital, I thought like that was what I wanted. And it was only through experience that I realized like which parts of it that I enjoyed versus which parts I didn't enjoy. So I think it's like a journey in itself. And like, if you know what your next step is going to be, like you don't need to stress about where you're going because it's I feel like it's never going to be what you think yeah it's not be. linear and yeah. also I've realized the importance of people skill like I just feel like I was so scared that my technical skills and my subject matter knowledge wouldn't allow me to pivot roles mm. but I went for interviews I applied for jobs not in my industry anyway just like why not right and it was more so like honestly you get along with the interviewer yeah and- that's so true <laughs> I'm not saying that your experience doesn't matter, but if you're like a reliable pair of hands, you have the soft skills, you can communicate and you get along with the interviewer, like they will give you a chance. Yeah. Yeah, Like 100%. That's why now, like, I don't feel stressed at all in terms of my career. I just feel like I can go wherever I want to go if I wanted to. Soft skills are more important than technical skills for me anyway. As a marketer, I'm like, if I wanted to work in a nonprofit marketing role, I could do that. If I wanted to go, if I ended up wanting to work at FMCG in the long run, I can do that. Yeah. Because I know the skills are transferable now. Now that I've done that leap, I yes. know it's transferable. Yeah. yeah. Even though I I didn't get like the design depth that I wanted at yeah. Deloitte Digital, what I did get and I'm really, really thankful for is those consulting skills. Mm. So things like stakeholder management, yeah. how to talk to people, how to communicate ideas to people who are not designers. Mm. Like those were the skills that I learned hard and fast because it's such a fast-paced environment. Yeah. It's also like a... Feels like a bit of a rat race, right? Because you're in a cohort of other graduates as well. And so I think that really pushed me to hone in on my soft skills because I was like, I feel like this is what's going to differentiate me. Like I can get really good at 
like a design program or I can be a really great illustrator. I can really drill down into that. The reality for me was like, I can't draw for shit. <laughs> um, I'm, I feel like I'm only average as like a designer. Like I, I feel like I take more time to execute yeah. things because I don't feel like it comes as naturally to me. But what I feel like I'm good at is like concepting ideas, co-designing with people. Yeah, bigger thinking. Yeah, yeah, collaborating with people. And those are the soft skills that I think I have really seen come through all the different roles yeah. that I've gone into. Yeah. So I think like moral of the story is like, just start somewhere, get those soft skills and explore as much as you can and then decide like where you want to go into. But if you start like, I think like you in a more speci- specialist role or specialist industry, yeah. it's not that you can't get out of it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like it's never black and white. Yeah. Like there's flexibility in your career. Like don't get stressed. I just feel like we just learn that mentality from high school. Like you have to get a specific A target into specific like, course and you have to do this and that but it's not as black and white as you think once you get into the career like the industry yeah. and you start working so one thing i was like curious about as well was is there a better path to take is it better to be a generalist is it better to be a specialist and i think generally speaking like employers and clients tend to value people who are specialists because they're like oh you're going to fill the gaps for like the the knowledge spaces that I don't really have expertise in, this is where specialists can fill that gap for me. And I think often you see in job ads, like looking for someone with five years of experience specializing in X, Y, Z. And I think it's easier for people to kind of align themselves to that when they're finding their next role. Whereas when you're being a generalist, it, I think it can arm you with so many different skills, whether that's soft skills or hard skills. And that can help with like problem solving, staying adaptable when there's like changing professional landscapes, which is kind of what's happened in the last like four or five years, right? Not four or five years, COVID. Yeah. Three years. Um, And so I think the hard part about being a journalist is sometimes you read a job description and you're just like, oh, like I can tick some of these boxes, but I can't tick all of them. Yeah. I feel that sometimes I'm like a bit of a fraud sometimes. I'm like, oh my God, I don't have those technical skills. But I guess I can do that. Yeah. (laughs) But I know about it. I know about that. I know what SEO is. Just never like action it that deeply. Yeah. Yeah. How do do you navigate that? Like when you see that there's really specialist uh, criteria to me. Well, at the moment I haven't really, I don't even look at like those type of roles. I don't, I'm not interested in them. I like being a generalist. Mm. Like I like, like you said, having my fingers in all the pots and being able yeah. to like learn as much as I can and head across the board. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not fussed because I can lean on subject matter experts yeah. in, within the company for any knowledge I don't know. Right. Yeah. The way that I've combat that is like, I am really confident in the skills that I already have. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, I can, like I've been in a lot of like client facing projects, like working on site with them, collaborating with them. I'm really confident with those things, but specifically with my product design role, I was really honest in my interview and I kind of said like, this is something I've dabbled in, but I've never gone in depth. But what I feel like I'm missing is like something to combine research and design. Mm. And that really spoke to the practice of um, future friendly and how they work and how they like organize their teams and run their projects. And so I think when you're really honest in your uh, interview and you tell people like, I don't know much about this, but I'm interested in learning. I agree. As long as you can show the attitude that you're willing to learn, then I think that gives them the confidence that you are going to work hard. Yeah, as I well. agree. 
Yeah. yeah. Honesty is key. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, I had a look at IDOU. IDOU is like where you can go to do different um, courses for like becoming a better design thinker and all that kind of stuff. And they had an episode on their podcast with someone called David Epstein who wrote a book called Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World and the Sports Gene um, on generalists versus specialists. So he really talks about like why generalists are better than specialists, which was an interesting perspective to have, right? And I was like, is this the final answer? I don't think it's like the right answer. I don't think there's a right answer for either of these pathways because I think people take a generalist or a specialist pathway for different reasons. Yeah, and I think actually companies need a mixture of specialists and generalists to operate well you know yeah. i just don't i don't think you can have a company with just specialists and one with just generalists i think you need a mixture so i don't think it's like one or the other yeah yeah but i wanted to call out like the points that he pointed out i think it's a nice like area for us to debate on but he said like specialists get a head start but generalists typically surpass them later on mm. which is very interesting because i think what he's referencing here is like specialists are really when they come out of uni, for example, it's really easy for you to find a job because you know what your yeah. you know what your skill set is and you know where you want to go. But generalists are more like I feel like the feeling is like you're floating in the void and you're like, <laughs> I don't know where I want to go. And you're like yeah. trying to find where you want to go. Um, but I think that's what I was saying about generalists being in leadership roles. Yeah, that makes sense. Because they can, I guess like you have the skill set to oversee things and then you allocate like work to like specialist roles. Mm-hmm. But, you know, happy for people to debate that. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, the second thing was like being a generalist encourages you to flex different muscles. Do you agree? Yeah, I think so. Like you, every day I learn something new like, yeah. in my role because I'm not just focused on a subject matter that I'm confident in. Like I get to learn from experts in other yeah. areas. Yeah. So. I feel like I'll get a bit bored if I was a specialist as well, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Specialists come at us. <laughs> it's because we're both generalists, you know. Yeah. Um, the third thing is like generalists can sample their interests and find the right fit, which kind of really speaks to like my Deloitte experience. Yeah. Um, generalists have a broader toolbox for problem solving, mm-hmm. which I think is true. And uh, generalists who focus on their narrative can be stronger applicants. Like so soft skills. Yeah, yeah, so this is more so about like how do you tell your story? How do you kind of communicate to people where you've come from, what you've learned along the way? And I think that really speaks to like what are your lived experiences and how do they, um, I guess, act as an input into how you work? Yeah. And, you know, a lot of our work is like customer facing yes. as well. So I think it's so important to have a direct, diverse range of lived experiences. Okay. And I think how you tell that story two people really get some like interested in who you are yeah. as a person. Yeah. And the last thing um, was a broader set of skills can help you be more adaptable throughout your career. And I think we've spoken to that, like yeah. being able to pivot. Pivot, yeah. And like manage change. Pivoting, yeah. Although I do have, sometimes I do think, because I, I, I do identify with being a jack of all trades, but I sometimes go, I wish I like had something I was really, really good at. Yeah. Yeah. Like sometimes I go, oh, am I missing out by not specializing in something? You yeah. Know? Like having technical skills in something. Like I feel like even as a person, like I can edit videos, I can, we can do the podcast, like I can do marketing, play a bit of sports, but it's like so many interests, but you don't specialize in yeah. something. You don't go, oh, go to Trace because she's really good at X, Y, Z. Yeah. But I think it comes out more naturally in the sense that if people work with you, 
they pick up on like what you're really good at. Mm. So they depend on you for that type of stuff. Yes. So if you're like a really good communicator, yeah. they might come to you for stuff relating yeah. to that. That's interesting because like I feel like at work, people always go, put Tracy on your project because she's reliable. She gets shit done. Like she'll yeah. get things done. But it's not like, oh, we need her for her specialist skills. But it's more yeah. like having that person there to like oversee and like see the bigger picture as well. That in so, itself yeah. is so important. Yeah. Though, right. Because yeah. not everyone can be like, I think as a specialist, you're quite like, tunnel vision i think that makes it sound really mm. bad but like you can only see what you're very good at yes you know and you can't see beyond that so you can't draw another like skills to help you solve a problem yeah yeah so i think like you said you do need both in that context okay so speaking about pivoting roles and careers like what was your experience going from like a service design to a product is, is it product design yeah, yeah product like design role. in a an industry that you didn't know too much about and that you felt like you didn't have experience mm. in it's interesting because like your role or my role is I'm still a designer. I'm still in the design industry and I'm still doing the same type of work in the sense that I'm client facing. Right. But because the medium in which I was doing the work, like it went from just doing writing insights or doing research and just like running uh, user interviews to actually creating like screens for an experience mm. and testing that because that was the change, I felt so much imposter syndrome. And also a part of it was like, I went from just being a mid-level to senior. That also oh, introduced so much <laughs> like anxiety around like, what does this mean for me? Should I be like, am I a leader now? Or like, you know, what, what are the skill sets that I need to start building to really feel, not feel the gap, but then to live up to that expectation that I'm a senior now, you know, like, will I be mentoring people, that kind of stuff. And so I feel like every time I move into a new role, I feel imposter syndrome because I think you're just trying to understand what is the structure of the organization that I'm pivoting into um, or, or working in now. Like, how, how am I going to fit into that? Do, does my previous knowledge, is it going to even be relevant mm-hmm. here? Um, you just question your entire existence because you're just like, how much knowledge do I really have? Because I feel like when you change companies or you work for a company, you fit yourself into the mold. Yeah. So when I change into a new company, I'm like, okay, how am I going to make myself fit in? Yeah. And then with product design specifically, I was like, damn, I've never designed an end yeah. an app. I've designed like some really basic screens, but I've never designed like a full experience. And also I never worked on what they call build projects. Okay. So I've always done concept design, but and I've never, yeah, yeah. I've, and handed it over to developers, mm-hmm. but I've never done a project where, the thing that I designed is actually going into build. Yeah. And I've never worked with developers. So what was your experience doing that first project where you had to build intense screens and that? I was like so honest with the team. I was like, I've never done this before. I don't know so, what I'm doing. <laughs> like I can do the design stuff. Yeah. And I was really confident in that. But I was like um, making sure that I was putting meetings in with the developers to check in and see mm-hmm. if what I was designing was actually buildable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I told him, I was like, I think I might need a little bit more support because I've never done a build project before. Yeah. And that's what I said earlier about like, just be honest with the people around you about what your strengths and your weaknesses are. Yeah. And I think that's what created the space for me to just ask questions, mm-hmm. like ask silly questions yes. and then be open to learning. Yeah. That's yeah. a good point. I think asking, not being afraid of asking questions just for your understanding. Like I know my manager who's been like in the industry for like, 20 years or whatever she she still goes just so i understand she's like just so i understand and she clarifies and i really like that she does that Mm. and then she she's not afraid of asking silly questions yeah like to be brave enough to go i don't i don't get this 
Yeah. yeah. And even and, at a senior level, you can say that. And, yeah. Because yeah. you, you can't know everything and you kind of have to let your ego or your guard down a mm-hmm. little bit because I'm pretty sure 90% of the people in the industry, like everyone feels the same way that like they're really confident in some parts, but they're not confident in other parts. Yeah. You know, and they got to rely on other people to help fill that gap. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think this, for me, the scariest part is not when you first start, but once you've been there after two months or something, because you can't go, oh, I'm new. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> like for me, when I first start a, a job, I'm always like, I'm new. Like if I don't know anything, it's because I'm new. But then as soon as like you've been there for quite a, what, more, a bit longer, and you're like, oh, shit, now I have to look like I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Like, I don't have to, I can't fall back on the fact that I'm new. Yeah. Like I've got to now prove myself. Yeah. yeah. But I think like yeah. naturally over time, I became more confident in myself. And now, like, I'm realizing that even though I'm a senior designer or senior product designer, I still have so much to learn yes. about the industry. And I don't have that conversa- conversation or I don't have that debate of, like, am I a specialist or am I a generalist? I just enjoy what I do. Yeah. And I feel like I'm in the right place. And the types of problems that we're solving are meaningful to me. Yeah. And that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a humbling experience to just learn to accept that you're not going to know everything. Yeah. Like even what you said about being a senior, because I went into my current role as a senior as well. And I wasn't a senior beforehand. I had so much imposter syndrome. I was like, oh my God, do I have to speak up more in meetings? Like, mm. Do I have to lead things more? I don't know what I'm doing. And then also not having subject matter knowledge in terms of never worked in retail marketing before. Like just feeling so much imposter syndrome. But then as soon as you, you kind of like admit to yourself that like you don't know everything and you can you don't have to pretend to know everything yeah and then you can tell your colleagues and be honest with them that like i'm still learning like they have confidence that you have the skills but it's like it's you're not expected to know everything yeah so accepting that i think it really helps yeah Yeah. but it's still an ongoing battle for me like confidence at work is a huge thing yeah 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 no definitely so i think that's kind of a nice want to end our conversation i think the moral of the story is specialist generous doesn't matter like soft skills hard skills i think is really like whatever you want to make your career like you can make your career like there's no one way or the other like it's a fluid a fluid journey there's no black and white like we'll be fine <laughs> change change is okay yeah you can change pivot. is okay you can pivot yeah yeah so on to, on to our dinner table questions wendy what is your favorite song of all time I'm so glad I have an answer for this. I don't have an answer for this. <laughs> <laughs> you can think while I tell everybody what my answer is. Spotify or um, it's by Lainey, Malibu Nights. Okay. That's yep. my top song. Yeah. Always. Hits you in the feels. Like, it's the best song. It sounds really sad. But if you're driving alone, like, <laughs> at nighttime, just put it on and you're just like, ooh. Yeah, it just gets me in the feels. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I don't have a favorite song. Like, I generally do not have a favorite song. I've got favorite songs, but I don't like, you know, I, from people that I like that I would can never get sick of, like mm. Viva La Vida, Coldplay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, I actually don't have an answer for that. That's okay. Yeah. Let's go with Viva La Vida. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite board game? Oh, this is very, 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 very difficult because we play a lot of board games. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of board games. Yeah, and my partner has you, a lot Gavin. of board games. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I want to say the board game, I will never... Oh, can I say multiple board games? Seven Wonders. I don't mm-hmm. know if anyone's played Seven Wonders, but that was one of the first larger board game that I played with my cousins. Yeah. And that introduced us to the board game world. So Seven Wonders and Shadowhunters. So um, those Ooh. are the board games that we never get sick of. One that I personally love is Blockers. 
Oh, love blockers. <laughs> we discovered it at like a beach house, yeah. like straight after high school. And we've never stopped playing. It's literally a, such a random game. It's like Tetris, but on a board kind of, but yeah. not really. Like you look at it and you'll be like, what is this game? Like it's one of those games that you just see randomly in an Airbnb shelf. And then we ended up playing it. It's like the best game ever. Just so calming. Yeah. So zen. It's like a four player game. Yeah. And then you each start in the corner. You have all these pieces. And the objective is to build like out as yeah. much as possible. But also the reason why it's called Blockus is because you can block people and they're like pieces. Yeah. So pieces can only join at the corners. Yeah. The corners. And it's a grid. So basically whoever can put more all their pieces down wins. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And if you run out of space, then like it's end game for you. Yeah. Yeah. Love blockers. Look yeah, it up, blockers. Look it up, look it yeah. up guys. It's not even that expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Mine would be Monikers. Oh yes. I love Monikers. Like it's a very well designed game. So essentially you have like it's like charades and articulate combined yeah. and then you have like three rounds and essentially you have a stack of cards and you go around and you just have to basically describe like what's on the card but you can't use the words of yeah. what you're describing and it's a very basic game but i love it so much yeah it's a fun party game yeah, yeah. god it's really hard to describe board games yeah, yeah just, you just, just look have it up you go you go on boardgamegeeks.com and yeah look at whatever yeah. Last one. What's your favorite fast food chain? Um, favorite fast food chain. Hungry Jacks. I think that's my go-to. Love Rebel Whopper with cheese. A uh, what? Rebel Whopper with cheese. What's a Rebel Whopper? It's like the vegetarian, not big the vegan option. Oh, I don't know. I, I really? like that burger. That and all our bacon blocks. Ooh. Although a McDonald's cheeseburger, you can't beat that. But I know. overall, yes. I would gravitate more to Hungry Jacks. Yeah, McDonald's cheeseburger. Sometimes I just randomly crave. Yeah. There's like specific meals from each place, like a McDonald's cheeseburger, like Macca's fries. Macca's. Oh, really? I don't know. I liked Hungry Jack's old fries. Old fries. When the they changed one, the thin, the thin, oh, one. Now it's the thick one. It's yeah, now it's the thick one. And like a KFC nuggets. KFC nuggets. Yeah, I crave that sometimes. Oh, interesting. I'll have to try. But Hungry Jack's overall. How old are mm. you? Um, I would say. Five guys, but not oh, in Australia. Fancy. She's international. <laughs> so, so they have like a store in Blacktown yeah. and now in the city. But I feel like it's not the same as when I was in Europe. Okay. I really, really like five guys. Yeah. Yeah. But then if I was just to go like, you know, locally. Yeah. Basic, go basic. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about meals, like specific think meal items. I'd say Angry Onions from Hungry Jacks oh. with spicy sauce. Oh, yep. you have to try that. Yeah. And I love KFC chips. Oh yeah, I like KFC. Yeah, I, yeah. I like KFC dinner rolls too. A bit random, but like the oh the bread. Rolls. Yeah, the bread. Yeah, bread bread is superior. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, well, well that's that. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Um, hopefully you enjoyed this episode. I'll be interested to know what side of the debate you're on. Yes, specialist or generalist, both. Like you know, what is your experience with this? Let us know at our Instagram. But thank you for tuning in, everybody. Bye. Bye.